I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. If you do not have a Bible with you, you should be able to find a Bible underneath the seat in front of you or near you. 1 Peter begins somewhere around page 1014. We're in the series of sermons studying Peter's first letter to these churches in Asia Minor. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, but the focus of our text, our time together this morning will be in verses 4 through 10 of chapter 2. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Please follow along with me. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We remind ourselves regularly, it is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. And we ask now, Father, that you would help us and make our way clear as we move through your word. Help us in this time. Help us to focus our attention on your word. We pray, Father, that you would write these eternal truths on our hearts. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of God as it has been revealed in the word of God. We ask that your spirit would cause us to focus. And Father, we pray that your spirit would awaken those who are dead among us. They live, but they are dead. If they have not trusted in Christ, if they have not been born again, though they are here with us, they are spiritually dead. We pray that today you would make them alive 
And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Once upon a time, people went outside. Even after the Industrial Revolution moved labor indoors, people still took to the outdoors to play. Children were sent outside of the house in the summer, and many times, at least in my house, we were told not to come back until the evening. Communities were oriented around block parties and municipal pools. Cities would build grand parks, and kids would walk to school. But over the past half century, people started to stay inside and move around less. Air conditioning, cable, and Wi-Fi accelerated the trend. We're not going to turn off the air conditioner in the summer, don't worry. Work changed, too. In 2019, more than 80% of American jobs were predominantly sedentary, nearly doubling the number since 1950. In the space of two generations, physical activity was recast as an organized, expensive, time-consuming pursuit of excellence instead of a routine part of our daily lives. Kids joined competitive sports leagues and adults were sent to private gyms to buy equipment at home if they needed to so that they could mimic the activities that they used to do outside, like biking. All of this set the conditions that created the perfect market for Peloton to exploit. It was founded in 2012 by Foley, a former Barnes & Noble executive who wanted the convenience of boutique fitness classes like SoulCycle in his home. Of course, all suburbanites around us have long filled their homes with stationary bikes and treadmills and rowing machines most of the time that we don't use, but Peloton's innovation was different, and its major draw for many people was its teaching component. The big, bright, Wi-Fi-enabled screen that moved around while you're biking just above the handlebars as someone's calling out to you for your live class or a class that you could queue up that was recently recorded. The video board also lets them interact with their classmates, cheering people on with virtual high fives, and if you're a regular with an instructor, you might even hear a you-go girl while you're exercising. Those kind of interactions give many people something that they have desperately wanted and have longed for, community, shared purpose. And in an age confused about what the church God is building is, and what the church God is building is to do, we look for it everywhere outside of the church. But is that actually what God envisions for the church that he is building? And how would you and I know if our vision and our picture of the church God is building is the same that he has revealed in Scripture? For the last two weeks in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3, we've seen the church God is building as a family that loves Today, however, Peter shifts his metaphors. In 1 Peter chapter, 1, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, we'll see the church God is building is a temple that worships and a people that witness. Notice first, a temple. Look with me again in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Before explaining what the church God is building is and is to do, Peter begins by telling us that it is a spiritual building. A spiritual building is being built as, verse 4, people begin the Christian life. As you come to him. Come to who? Circle the pronoun him in verse 4. Now look up at the end of verse 3, and you will see the Lord. I'll circle that and draw a line connecting the two. And as you do, let me ask you, 
Have you come to him in faith, in repentance, like newborn infants, as those trusting in the imperishable word of God, in obedience, with a sincere brotherly love, having purified your souls, you can. You can come to him today. You can come to him right now. You can come to him right here at this service of worship, whether it is your first time or you've been here many times, whether you're young or just young at heart. You can, as Peter tells us, be born again by acknowledging that you're a sinner, a sinner who can have no fellowship with this holy God because of your sin, a sinner who stands in need of forgiveness and redemption. All you have to do today is simply walk away from your sin and place all of your trust on Jesus, the one who, verse four, was rejected by men for you. He was born for you. He lived a perfect life for you. He suffered ridicule for you. He was mocked for you. He, verse four, the living stone rose from the dead for you so that you yourselves might be actually built up into a spiritual house. Will you come to him? Will you confess your sins? Will you profess him to be your Lord? Will you begin the Christian journey today? I wonder what is it that keeps you from coming to him? Is it fear of rejection? He will not turn you away. Is it sins that you've committed that you haven't shared with anybody in this room? God welcomes the repentant. If you will simply come to him, what the Bible says you have to do today is very simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you do, as we sang earlier, you will be saved from your enemies. The Christian life, Peter tells us, begins by simply coming to the Lord. Friends, please do not leave here today without coming to the Lord. And if you have any questions about what it means to come to the Lord or how you can come to the Lord, we would love to speak with you. It is our privilege to serve you. We would be very glad, very happy to open the Bible with you and to tell you more about what it means for people to come to the Lord. Please come find me after the service at the tunnel. Find one of the members of this church here in the sanctuary. But these words are not primarily for unbelievers. In fact, these words were written specifically to believers, to people who already called themselves Christians to encourage them by pointing them to the life of Christ because Peter knew as they experienced pain, physical pain, relational pain, psychological pain, emotional and relational pain, while following Jesus, they would begin to think to themselves, what's the point? Why am I in this family at all if my life is gonna be this way. So Peter reminded them that the Lord Jesus was chosen by God, but rejected by men. He was precious to God, but he suffered in this life. So that they 
would not be caught off guard when experiencing sorrow as Christians. Have you been caught off guard? Do you feel that you have been caught flat-footed in your Christian walk, thinking, I never knew it would be this hard. Peter is here to tell you, it has always been this hard for you and for everybody else and for Jesus. Peter wants every Christian suffering here today to know that your Savior, the Lord Jesus, knows exactly what it is like to be loved by God and delighted in by God while in agony in this life. Your Savior, the Lord Jesus, knows what it is like to pray to God and to have his prayers go unanswered. Friends, Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior who is able not only to sympathize with you, but he is able to empathize with you. But believer, could it be that the relief God is not bringing or the prayer that God is not answering is that he wants to clear away all of the brush that would distract you from seeing him clearly and enjoying him forever as he brings you to resurrection glory on the other side of crucifixion pain in your life. As he, verse five, is building you up as a spiritual house. Could it be that all of the sorrow actually has a purpose? And all of the pain is not without meaning. And all of the frustration, albeit hard and difficult and traumatizing, is for your good when you were young, when you were married, when you're single, when your kids leave the house, when you got fired, and when you got hired. In all of those moments, somehow, for your good, as the message of salvation is being preached, Peter tells these people that a spiritual building is actually being built up. And every brick in that building is a person. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is the church the Lord is building. It is made up of people, of men and women, young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, from every tribe and tongue and nation. The church is not a building. It is a gathering of people. But just as God's presence dwelt in his temple, so now God's presence dwells in his new temple, the gathered church. Brothers and sisters, members of this church, especially when we gather together on Sundays, the Lord God is among us, which is exactly why we are to prioritize this gathering, because the emphasis is on corporate worship, not your personal devotional time. The gathering of the church, whether five or 50 or 500 or 5,000 or 50,000, is of cosmic significance when the people come together. So one of your primary ministries as Christians is attendance. So that when people gather with us, they will meet the Lord that you worship and they will see the Lord that you worship at work among us and they will hear the praises that we give to our Lord together. So that they would see it while we are with one another, which is why we are to be, verse 5, a holy priesthood. 
the church God is building does not have a priesthood. The church God is building is a priesthood. The church God is building is a priesthood with a very specific job. Verse five, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every Christian in the church God is building is a priest offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ in worship when we gather together. So now we know why the community disrupting sins are the ones that Peter focuses on in verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander because if we don't, our worship will be paper thin and ingenuine and useless as we sing songs and confess our sins together and declare theological truth that we believe and have read about and have signed our names to for members of this church and intercede with one another for other people and give of our tithes and offerings generously and read the word and hear the word and listen to the word, useless. If the sins that we're committing are against one another so that we are incapable of actually worshiping together. You are not a conglomerate of individuals. You are the corporate body of Christ. Peter is calling all of these people to see in their suffering, stop looking at yourself because that is what suffering does. What happens in our life when we're in pain? Me, my needs, my focus, what's wrong? How do I get me fixed? Peter says, that is the worst thing to do. In fact, that is the very thing that won't help you at all. The thing that will help you when you are suffering and you are prone to look inward and try to care only for yourself is to actually look outward at the body of Christ and be reminded, you're not alone. You are loved among all these people. You have brothers and sisters. You have people who have gathered with you. God has not forsaken you. There are people who are praying for you. There are people who are willing to help you, which is why we call you to join the church and to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Peter says it is all useless. You can have the most wonderful individual faith experience absolutely every single week and know nothing of the power of God. But when you gather with the people of God, two or three are gathered among us, God is in their midst. And something is happening in that moment that is unlike your favorite gathering of people or the biggest conference that you've ever been to in your life. God dwells among those people and he encourages their faint hearts as they minister the gospel to one another. If we don't, our worship will be thin. But if we do, verse five, Peter tells us our worship will be, listen to it, acceptable to God. It will be acceptable to God even when we're suffering. It will be acceptable to God even when we're experiencing pain while following the Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, isn't that exactly what you want? So many of you, your own prayers have been, God, I want my life to count for you. I want my life to be acceptable to you because your prayers, guess what, are just like my prayers and guess what, just like every other Christian's prayers who has earnestly desired to know the Lord and serve the Lord. Let my life be meaningful and acceptable to you. 
And Peter says, you know what? You can rest assured your life will be very acceptable to the Lord God if you worship in this way. Acceptable at home as a stay-at-home mom. Acceptable at the office. Acceptable as a teacher in the classroom. Acceptable as a pastor or an elder or a deacon, a single or married, young or old, black, white, Hispanic, Korean, Asian, other. It doesn't matter. Acceptable to God as you gather with the people of God and worship the living God. An acceptable life. Your life can be acceptable to him. Friends, your worship can be acceptable to God even while you're experiencing great pain and great sorrow. Peter's writing this letter to encourage these people because their faith experience has not worked out the way that they thought it would be. Trust in God, meet opposition. Trust in God, sadness in life. Trust in God, seems like prayers are going unanswered. Guess what? Redirect your vision. That is exactly what we're doing each and every week. The beauty of the song we sang just before I came into the pulpit. It is a prayer. Take my life and let it be. It is a prayer asking God, help us in this moment. Perhaps you're a Christian here today who is trying your absolute best you can to follow Jesus and you feel so far from him or at least you don't feel very near to him. You might even feel unacceptable to him. Peter says, you can rest assured that your worship is acceptable to God when you gather with the church of God, the church that God is building regularly and serve it faithfully and pray for it humbly while you sing in its midst, hopefully. So keep on, weary saint. Do not give up and do not lose heart. The Lord sees you. He notices you. You are a member of his family. He accepts you through Jesus Christ. Your worship is pleasing to him even when you do not feel it and especially when you are in sadness and sorrow and suffering. And we are here to tell you that we want to help you while you're in the middle of it. The Christian life is always messy, not just your life. And here's the thing. When we are honest with one another, when we are actually honest and sharing one another's burdens with one another, it is going to be messy. It's going to feel like a wreck. It's going to look like a dumpster fire. But God's people step into that together and they lift one another out of it. And they remind each other, we're going that way together. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged and take heart. Do not quit and do not fear. Your worship can be acceptable to God. A temple, notice second, a people. Look at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter tells us the church God is building does not replace Israel, but it does fulfill the promises made to Israel as he ascribes every title of the ancient people to the church. A chosen race, Isaiah 43, 20. A royal priesthood, Exodus 19, 6. A holy nation, Exodus 19, 6. A people for his own possession, 
Malachi 3.17. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, remember that it is a privilege to be counted among God's people. In contrast to those who, verse 8, disobey the word as they were destined to do, the church, verse 9, is a chosen people. We belong to God because we have been elected by him. We are a part of his church because he has elected and chosen us. But rather than do what I know that we are all prone to do this morning and get hung up on all the intricacies of what it means to be chosen by God from eternity past, I want you to consider, why is it that Peter would think that this doctrine would be the one that would encourage these people right here? That he would speak of God's electing grace as a way to strengthen these people and encourage these people as he emphasized two words. You and now. Look again at verse nine. You are a chosen race. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, you Gentiles, you lost and wandering people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you wayfarers are now God's people who have now received God's mercy because you have been chosen by God. So when you're suffering, when you're in sorrow, when it hurts to follow Jesus, remember your election. When everything is falling apart in life, remember God's electing grace and consider how God has dealt with his chosen people throughout all of history. He brought them safely through water and he delivered them from foreign lands and he fed them in the wilderness and he rescued them from the hand of the oppressor. And ultimately, he sent the Savior to do for them what they could never do for themselves by dying on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for them so that they might be built up and made into, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So do not despair. Your God is for you and is never against you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your election tells you this is true. It tells you that you were loved by God when you were unlovable and that God has not treated you as your sins deserved because if any of you, any of us, are honest about what our sins have merited in this life, we know that the least sin that we've ever committed that deserves infinite wrath and whatever you consider to be the greatest sin you've ever committed deserves infinite wrath that God loved you when you were unlovable, he has not treated you as your sins deserve, that he actually remembers you, that you are important to God, that he has not simply overlooked you and you're lost in a sea of faces, that he actually notices you and all that you're going through in your life, that he cares for you and he can call you to do what you don't believe. Cast all of your burdens upon me. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. He will bear your burdens for you, which is why we are encouraged to go to him in prayer. 
Peter tells us, all Jews and all Gentiles from all over everywhere who have been chosen by God to belong to the true Israel are now, right now, part of the one people of God and they have a job. Verse nine, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light witness. They are to declare his wonderful works. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise my soul, no lesser thing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. There to tell the story of salvation. The church is one foundation. Is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. They are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Their witness is not their personal testimony, as wonderful as those stories can be, because you can tell those stories without telling others how God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You can tell your story, your witness, without actually telling people about the cross and the empty tomb. You can tell people how God saved you without necessarily calling them to repentance from sin and faith and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their witness is not an individual story. It is a corporate proclamation of the excellencies of his salvation because one of the most evangelistic things the church God is building can do is gather as the people of God and to declare his praises in the midst of a lost and dying world together. This is why online church and virtual church and live streaming church are not church and do not work. Because it is not a gathering of people. It is a disconnected group of individuals sitting wherever they want. This is a gathering and it forces you to do what maybe is uncomfortable for you, sit by people. Talk to people that you might have disagreement with. Forgive one another. Greet people when you would like to not be spoken to. Talk to people when you're tired. Help people when you're worn out. They gather together, and in the midst of that gathering, they proclaim these excellencies, but notice their witness comes after their worship. And it must always come after their worship, or it will be ineffective. And now, once again, we see why sins of the lips are the primary focus of verse one for Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander because these sins will render their worship vain and their witness fruitless. There is a relationship between their worship and their witness. But if we put them away, Peter tells us, our worship will be acceptable and our witness will be fruitful even while we're experiencing pain while following the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you lacked a motivation to evangelize the lost? 
worship the Lord God that your witness might be motivated? Have you been unsuccessful in the sharing of the gospel with non-Christians? Worship so that God might make your witness fruitful. Has your suffering prevented you from telling other people about Jesus? Worship so that God might embolden your witness as you meditate on the sufferings of Christ and realize that no matter how great the suffering you experience in this life, we have never experienced anything compared to the sorrows of the Savior, and everybody needs to know about his suffering so that they might have hope of heaven and that they can know that weak and tired people can actually go there. You see, one of the most unbelievable things for people is that broken people get into heaven. And what happens when we are broken and tell people about it is that it actually helps them to see. Jesus didn't save good people. Jesus came to save broken and dying people. And people with hardship and suffering are actually going through those doors with all of the other people who look like their lives have it together. We tell them of the mercies of God and say, you can get there with us. Come, come with us. Peter tells us the declaration of God's praises includes both worship and witness, and our election, according to the apostle, empowers them both. So he highlights election as a means to comfort us. God's not forgotten you, as well as to motivate you. There are other people out there. You need to go and get them. The doctrine of election is not the enemy of the people you love or the people that you have met. It teaches you how you actually came to be numbered among the people of God because if you are honest with yourself, you know that you do not deserve to be there. So we at Christ Church Westchester include an article on election in our statement of faith. Article 9 is online because we think the most loving thing we can do as a church is tell you exactly what we believe. We believe election is the eternal purpose of God according to which he graciously regenerates, sanctifies, and saves sinners. Election is perfectly consistent with human free agency and includes all the means necessary to achieve God's purpose. It is a most glorious display of God's sovereign goodness, which is infinitely free, wise, holy, and unchangeable. Election completely rules out boasting and promotes humility, love, prayer, praise, trust in God, and active imitation of his free mercy. It encourages the greatest possible exercise of human responsibility. The election of individuals to life may be confirmed by its effects in everyone who truly believes the gospel. Election is the foundation of Christian assurance, not doubt. And confirming our election deserves our greatest diligence. The church God is building is a temple that worships and a people that witness. But how is God building this church? To answer that question, we're going to look to the middle of our text today. A temple, a people, notice third, the stone, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The stone, just by where Peter has put it, is central 
to both the worship and the witness of the church God is building. Peter tells us it is who we were created to worship. And it is the content of what we are to proclaim as he supports his comments with the verse taken from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, I know that some of you love Bible verses, and some of you have some very special Bible verses in your life that you think of often, but this verse was a very important verse to Peter. It showed up in his gospel, that is the gospel that church history tells us he informed by discipling its author. We see it in Mark chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. The scripture says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It showed up in his preaching. Luke tells us about it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it showed up in his writing. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And any sensitive and careful reader of Scripture, particularly those of you who are familiar with the gospel narratives, might be able to see why this verse was so precious to Peter when you look at Peter's life. When we begin to understand by looking at his life why this verse became so important to the apostle. Because this apostle is the same Peter who affirmed that Jesus is the Christ right before rebuking Jesus for even talking about his sufferings. The same Peter who emphatically said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. The night before invoking a curse on himself and saying, I do not know the man, I swear to God I do not know the man that you are speaking about. As he failed Jesus, Peter learned that great sin draws out great grace. And that verse 6, whoever believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. No condemnation, no censure, no rebuke, no disapproval, no dissatisfaction. No reminder of sins committed. Nothing. Can you imagine the euphoria Peter experienced when it finally all clicked? And he realized and learned that there is no shame in repentance. That in repentance, God meets us with forgiveness. That even after, not before, not while, but after his most vile, weakest moments, Jesus still loved him. And verse seven, honor was before him. It wasn't that Jesus tolerated him or Jesus learned to put up with him or Jesus finally said, you know what? I'll just deal with you. Jesus loved him and honor was before him. That teaching changed his life. And believer, it can change your life today. Jesus has called you to himself and he will never cast you out. So he calls you to not just come to him 
the first time in repentance. But you see as you read the Bible that he's constantly saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Bring me your sorrows. Bring me your pain. Bring me your prayers. Bring me your hurts. Bring it all. Lay it on me. Come. Come to him. Come tired, come weary, come sinful, come warm, but come to Jesus. We cannot tell you any greater message. There is no greater message on planet earth. Come to Jesus, flee to the Savior. There's no shame in repentance. What are you hiding? What are you suppressing? What are you keeping from everybody here that God already knows? Bring it to him and he will meet you with forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, this is a great truth. And Peter knew it and changed his life. Changed the way he lived. Changed the way he preached. Changed the way he wrote. Changed the way he died. You want to look at a person who began life terribly, but they died in great hope. May God make us people like that. We have nothing to fear. Because what is before us is honor and glory and the very presence of God. Peter wants these believers to experience this grace because this Christ can be their Christ and he does not want them to be surprised by the pain that they experience as they follow Jesus. They are God's chosen and precious people. And yet, what he does to remind them of how chosen and precious they are is he points them to Jesus, the one who was chosen and precious to God and rejected by men, and tells them, as it was for him, so it will be for you. They will reject you. They will mock you. They will hate you. You will be scorned. Peter learned that this Jesus is either the foundation for the church that God is building, or he is the stone that we stumble over on the path to hell. Verse eight. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, I don't know if you consider yourself an unbeliever in here, You might not, but you actually might be an unbeliever. You can think of yourself to be a believer and not be a Christian. Hear these words carefully. And if you are an unbeliever, pay attention to them. So the honor is for you who believe. Honor for those who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The world, Peter tells us, is not apathetic. The world is antagonistic. They reject the foundation of the church God is building, Jesus Christ. They know what it means when you proclaim to them Jesus Christ which is why they ask so many questions that seem so unrelated to the gospel because what they don't want to do is give up their sin. They know that following Jesus means I have to give up sin. And because they love their sin more than they love the Savior, they say, how old is the age of the earth? And why are these the books of the Bible? Good questions, important questions, please try to answer them. But what are they doing? I don't want to repent. So answer this thing that's hard for me So I don't have to think about what Jesus is calling me to. Peter says the world is not apathetic. They're not indifferent. All of the people that we're worried about, they're on a path. They have rejected God. Consciously and unconsciously, they are rejecting God with their lives. Peter says they're on this path. They've rejected the foundation. And though the people of God are a chosen race, Peter tells us, 
The unbelieving world is responsible for their rejection of God. As he highlights, verse seven, the connection between honor and belief, as well as disbelief and stumbling. A disbelief and stumbling that is a direct result, verse eight, of disobedience to the word. Are you disobeying the word? Let me ask you, are you committing sin that you know that the Bible prohibits, but you've said you're gonna do it anyways and you cite an interpretive difference? We just disagree on what the text means. Are you committing sin in your life, whether in your mind or with your actions or with your words, that the Bible prohibits and forbids, but you found a way around it? Do you pick and choose which parts of the Bible apply to you based on convenience in your situation because every person on planet earth lives just like you. There's right, there's wrong, and there's my situation. Peter tells us that that's not right. That people are always looking for a way around when the scripture runs against the grain of the way that they want to live their life. Peter calls you to repent, turn to Christ, trust in Christ. Believe in Christ. Turn to the stone that is the very foundation of the church God is building. Jesus Christ, believe in him. The church God is building is a family that loves, a temple that worships, a people that witness. Is your picture of the church God is building the same as the one that he lays out for us in Scripture? In, his 2000, in her 2019 article, I Joined a Stationary Biker Gang, Amanda Mull highlighted what people wanted from Peloton. Support, community, connection. Unfortunately, she, like so many others, are looking for it outside of the church that God is building. But perhaps today, you're here and you're just like her. Maybe it's not Peloton, it's something else. But you are looking for support, community, connection. And you're looking everywhere outside for it. The church is a place where you hear the gospel message and it is where God connects you to a gospel people so that you might live a gospel life by God's grace. A few applications as we close. First, we have to prioritize the gathering. We have to prioritize the gathering because the Christian faith is not about your individual faith experience. It is about a community of people. How would you know if you are prioritizing the gathering? In a very practical sense, go to bed to be ready to be here so that you can be here on time. Pray during the prep song. That's not just so that we want to make noise so that you would come in from the foyer. That is because what we know is happening is that we will come in from the world and we'll start talking to one another and thinking about the game and how long is the meeting gonna be tonight or whatever it might be instead of focusing our attention on God. And it's gonna be long. Come in and pray and focus your attention. Say, Lord, help me. I'm distracted and I got all of these cares and the kids are still screaming or whatever's taking place and I'm still sad about that. Help me now focus my mind on Jesus Christ. Pray during the prep song. Get here on time. Get here early. Prioritize this gathering. We know people get sick. We know people go on vaca vacation. But is the dominant theme of your life one where you are eager to be with the people of God? not just tolerating the people of God, but you're like, I want to be here with the people. And if you're not eager to be with them, it's okay to be an introvert. But here's the thing is that you still need to be eager to be with these people because this is where you have community and faith and hope and love is built up together. Prioritize the gathering of the saints. There's nothing like it.
Second, don't preach ourselves in our witnessing. So that's our worship, the first one. Don't preach ourselves in our witnessing, preach Christ. Friends, we are so quick to tell everybody our story, but are we telling them about the Savior and about his story, the redemptive story? Evangelization is not simply your personal story. It's about the gospel story of what Jesus Christ came to do for them. May the Lord give you endurance in your evangelism. May he make you more bold in your evangelism. You can be an evangelist as an introvert. You can be an evangelist as an extrovert. But as you're evangelizing the people, tell them about Christ. Third, Christ must be central to the spirit-filled corporate worship and corporate witness of the local church. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they said, you know, you know why I love coming to your church? Because your people sing like their lives depend upon it. Friends, focusing on Christ and reminding ourselves as we turn the volume down and lift up our voices is that our lives actually do depend upon it. Our lives depend upon it and the lives of people around you depend upon it as we proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us together. Fourth, and if your experience hasn't been great, Believers first, I want to say, come and help us change. We need you to come join the church and help us change. But second, could you also consider that maybe in the fact that your experience hasn't been great, that there are perhaps people that are here that are bearing with you as much as you feel like you're forbearing with them, and that their experience also has not always been great. But they have learned how to focus on others, how to train themselves to think of others. I encourage you, as much as you are forbearing and bearing with everybody, to consider the people are forbearing and bearing with you. Just as God has been patient with you, not treating you as your sins deserve. Fifth, love like a family. A family is a family. There's a lot of bad things that happen in it. But love, forgive, pursue one another like a family. Go after one another. Worship as a priest, as a priesthood of people, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Witness as God's people, together so that we might proclaim his excellencies. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would help us to sing like our lives depend upon it. And we thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves and that he has not treated us as our sins deserve. God, we pray right now that you would encourage our tired and weary and worn out hearts, that you would strengthen us as we come together. Father, that you would use each of us to encourage those around us. And we pray together for those who are believers, for those who might be in our midst right now who are not yet believers, that you would do the good work of redeeming grace and that you would command them to obey your word and cause them to be born again, that you would remove the heart of stone and insert the heart of flesh. And Father, we pray that you would help us to love like a family, that you would help us to worship as a priesthood, that you would help us to witness as your people so that people all around us in this community might know Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.